Hello, my name is Jenny Fulton, and I'm running to be the mayor of Kernersville. Keeping you informed is my main objective. It would be my honor to represent you and serve Kernersville as mayor. It is time to ask your alderman to be your mayor. Vote Jenny Ingram Fulton on November 2nd to be your next mayor of Kernersville. Paid for by the Jenny Fulton Campaign for Mayor. Back here on the score of Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside fellow Cardinals fan James Wilson and resident Seattle Mariners enjoyer Alex Wover. Um, Alex, the state of your cuticles at the moment, <laughs> I'm assuming you're low. Very. Very low. Because your Seattle Mariners, as it stands right now, half a game out of the AL wild card. Um... The Mariners have not made the postseason in 20 years. Bear that in mind. There are people right now that are younger than the last time the Mariners made the postseason. J-Dub, you were barely born the last time the Mariners made the postseason. True. No, it's literally true. It is. I wish I was kidding. I'm not. The last time the Mariners made the postseason... The number one cell phone in America was a Motorola flip phone. The PS2 hey, whoa, had just whoa, come whoa. out. I still have one of those. Is that not what's hot right now? I thought you had a Nokia. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a Blackberry. Burberry. Bur- no. Burberry. Here's what Here's what you need to do. Reinvent the Blackberry, but call it the Brubberry, and you'll make a ton of money. Um, oh, genius. Right? I have awesome marketing ideas. Somebody should hire me to do that for their team, also with broadcasting experience. I'm just going to keep throwing that out there, dude. But you should. You have to. <laughs> There's no other way. But, uh, J-Dub, our St. Louis Cardinals, holy crap, dude. 17 wins in a row. And as we look at our screens right now, you see Nolan Arenado is on my screen. And he did say at the All-Star break that the Cardinals would play in the wild card game. He said that to MLB Network's Greg Amsinger. He whispered it in his ear at a press conference. Hey, we're going to play the wild card game. And Amsinger was like, uh, you're, yeah. He was like, watch. We're going to get there. Well, they got there. 17 wins in a row. Breaking a franchise record. St. Louis, the first team to win their last 11 or more road games. So the bulk of this streak was on the road, by the way, against teams they were going against in the playoff race. When this streak began on September the 7th, the St. Louis Cardinals had a 2.7% chance of making the postseason. And they clinched on Tuesday night, a spot in the NL wildcard game. They have... The majority of this streak has been against teams that are in postseason contention. They swept the Mets, who were three and a half back at that time. They swept the Padres, who were three and a half back at that time. They swept the Brewers, who have already clinched the NL Central, but that's beside the point. And they had the Cubs intermixed in there, but the Cubs were irrelevant because they sold off their entire roster and had a yard sale at the trade deadline. Um, When you talk about where this team stood three weeks ago, it's a completely different story. And 
when you talk about the the guys that have stepped up for this team, it's not just the Arenados and the Goldschmidt's. It's the guys that they brought in that we didn't think would have an impact that are having an impact. The guys out of the bullpen that fixed the issue of walking, you know, nine, ten straight batters. The Luis Garcias, the TJ McFarlands, the Wade LeBlancs, guys that just came in and pumped the strike zone, which is what the Cardinals needed. Then you bring in two starting pitchers who are notorious for that, even though they don't throw hard. John Lester and Jay Happ, also two veteran presences. And you look at just the chemistry of this ball club right now. I don't think they care about who they face in the NL wildcard game because even though they, their streak ended on Wednesday night, I don't think they care about who they play in the wildcard game. They just won 17 games in a row and had one of the greatest runs ever. Eleven, They are the first NL team to win 11 of or more of their... Win their last 11 or more road games. Since the 1887 Philadelphia Quakers... That's the law. Lo- it's also the longest total winning streak in the National League since the New York Giants in 1951. So, J if you're the St. Louis Cardinals, do you even care right now as to who you play in the NL Wild Card game? Because at no, this point, you, you're going to feel like you take exactly because at this point you feel like you're going to take on the world, right? I mean. Again, you look at the guys that have stepped up. Uh, we talked about the pitching guys. You look at the guys offensively that have stepped up. Tyler O'Neill has finally, Alex, as you well know, uh, considering those were our two teams that uh, completed that trade, has finally turned into the outfielder that the St. Louis Cardinals thought he was going to be when they traded Marco Gonzalez for him. He's got he's a 30-home run guy. He's jacked. He's the strongest Canadian guy on the planet. Um, man of our stature. Envy his muscular build. Um, there's a reason he's called Tyler Broneal, but it's not just him. It's Harrison Bader who's finally coming to his own offensively, which is what the Cardinals have been waiting on. Dylan Carlson hit the cover off the ball, making great defensive plays as a rookie. Lars Newtbar, greatest name in baseball, coming off the bench. Uh, Robin Pete Alonso of home runs in City Field. Um, getting clutch hits left and right. I mean, Tommy Edmond and Mundo Sosa. Jose Rondon hitting tanks off the bench as a pinch hitting specialist. Um, Giovanni Gallegos coming in and, and stabilizing the closer spot, which Alex Reyes kind of lost the handle on. I mean, when you talk about what this team has been able to do, and then Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina finding their respective fountains of youth, as well as John Lester, all the pieces that had to come together so, so quickly at just the right time. It's like it it it's it defies belief. It's magical. This is one of the better endings to the postseason that I've or you know the regular season that I've seen in a while. Going into the postseason, um, I think uh, some baseball fans might have turned off to watch NFL football as much as I enjoy football a lot. I'd say you might have to uh, you might have to tune back into the major leagues because. Right now, you've got, I mean, half a dozen teams who think, yeah, no, we are winning the World Series. There's no one that's stopping us. And, yeah, we're being realistic because we're the best thing that's around. You've got so many teams like that, and that's the exact kind of mentality I want going into the end of a regular season and into the beginning of a postseason because that generates hype. That generates fans. That makes you people excited. It gets the coaches excited and the players excited. The ballparks are going to be electric. It doesn't matter where you're at. 
if you have a team that's half decent, you probably think you can win it all this year. That's the kind of that's the kind of aura and ambiance you want around your playoff. This is one of the better finishes as far as pennant races go to a regular season in September baseball, as we love to call it, that we've had in quite some time. And the NL wildcard has decided the only question is who plays St. Louis. It's probably going to be the Dodgers, but they've still got an outside chance at three games back with, with three left um, to win the NL West. But I think if you're St. Louis, if you have to pick somebody to play, the Dodgers, as Steve and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Dodgers are less built for the one-game wildcard playoff than the Giants would be because they're almost too deep, right? They go out and get Scherzer. They've got Kershaw. They've got Walker Bueller. They've got Trey Turner. They're they're built for to throw all three, four of those guys at you in a series. If you can catch one of them making just a few mistakes on the mound in that one game that decides your season, that's it. They're done, and you're moving on. When you're talking about in a series scenario where they can throw three to four of those guys at you night after night after night, uh, it doesn't matter how many mistakes you catch. They're still going to find a way to win a game. Here and here and there. This is not a here and there thing. This is a 162 game season that comes down to one game. And they have to go with their best guy. And all you have to do is wait on him to make two or three mistakes with a hanging curveball. And you're moving on if your pitcher does his job. Which I think if you're St. Louis, you have to feel confident that Adam Wainwright can go out there and do his job. You have to be. If you're not confident, then you lose games. And at this point in the year, if you're not confident, you're doing it wrong. I mean, this is the postseason. You have to go into every scenario and every situation and be as confident as you can. Alex is Seattle Mariners as of recording. They're a half game out. Um, The Oakland Athletics have been eliminated. So we move past them. Seattle's got two left now against the Angels. Shohei Otani is not pitching, and Alex is saying thank God to the heavens, uh, even though because they shut down Shohei for pitching. He's still going to hit, though, so you got to worry about that. Um, Boston, a game back of New York for who hosts that wild card game, but Seattle and Toronto are very well alive and kicking, so you got four teams for two spots. It's going to be fun. It'll be a fun weekend. It's going to be so fun, Brett. But as a as we're going through these next three games, I am hoping that the Red Sox lose. The matchup for me is the Yankees Blue Jays because yep, those, those that's an important game, especially for the Blue Jays if they want to make the wild card. But I need the Yankees to win, and I need the Red Sox to lose. And like you're looking at every single scenario right now. Oh, 100%. On your end. And like I said, you're going to be biting your nails the whole weekend. But Oh, my gosh. The only thing left to decide in the NL is the NL East. Even though Atlanta has pretty much had that decided, the only question now is seeding. As to, you know, San Francisco... They've pretty much got the the uh, 
the NL West locked up. Um, they got a three-game lead on it. So, like I said, the the only thing that's really left to be decided right now is that AL wild card. And when you got four teams going for two spots, and you have the possibility of a New York Boston wild card game. You want to talk? I, I know the that rivalry gets overblown, but good God, guys! I mean, you want to talk about like one of the greatest wild card games ever, greatest matchups since this format was introduced? How about the best rivalry in baseball? Two teams that hate each other, two fan bases that despise each other. That if they see each other at a bar, they'll immediately start fighting. Whereas Cardinals and Cubs fans will buy each other a beer. Red Sox and Yankees fans will throw said beer at one another. Okay? You throw that into a one-game playoff, you're throwing lighter fluid on an already simmering fire. Going to be fantastic, fantastic stuff here down the stretch. When we come back, uh, J-Dub will finally get to talk about NASCAR. It's what you've been waiting on all morning. I know. You're excited. Yes, sir. We'll get to it. Uh, NASCAR playoffs are getting wild. We had some uh, events in Las Vegas that we'll get to. Um, and there's still the uh, Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick feud that we still haven't heard J-Dub's take on. Uh, we'll get to that next year on The Score. Looking to tailgate this summer? Stop by One Stop on the way. One Stop number 6, located just one mile west of East Forsyth at 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. One Stop serves fresh fried chicken and our famous taters seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Feeding a crowd? Get 16 pieces of chicken and sides for just $27.99. Craving wings? Come try our new spicy breaded wings. Get a five-wing meal with six taters and a roll for just $7.39. Now in regular hot ranch or spicy. One stop number 6, 2748 West Mountain Street in Kernersville. Back here on the score, Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside Alex Wilber and James Wilson. J-Dub, we finally reached the portion of the program where you get to talk about racing. Yeah. And he's apparently very excited about it. I am very excited about it. I am. I promise. I'm sorry. I'm uh, I'm on satellite phone this weekend. I uh, need more caffeine. Anyways. We'd like to also remind you that this episode is sponsored by uh, the mystery flavor of a certain beverage. If you need caffeine. It has... As it stands right now, uh, I can't read the caffeine content, but it's a lot. <laughs> Anyways, the the race at Vegas ended up being exactly what Denny Hamlin needed, right? You you get that first punch into the playoff, um, and you can basically go on a, a leap of absence for the next two races. He doesn't even require uh, anything. Uh, he doesn't have to get of, any points. He's in. That's what's exactly good and bad about this format for some people. He's into the next round. He doesn't. He doesn't have to run want, the next two races. You want points, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen over the round of eight, right? You don't. Know right. You don't know what's going to happen the before. next round. So yes, those points still carry over. So, but he doesn't need points to advance. Is, is, is the point not. we're making? 
Absolutely not. And that's exactly the kind of breaks that he was going to want to take. But I definitely think Denny Hamlin, there's nothing inside of him that's going to let off. He's going to go for another win at Talladega because at this point, the dude needs everything he wants. He needs to give himself every opportunity to win. He's going to be all on the gas until, I mean, unless he wins one of those championship, uh, you know, four locking in wins, right, in the round of eight. He's really not going to let off. He needs to get there. He knows what's at stake. He knows of the opportunities that he's had. Uh, I put a lot of pressure on him last year. Hey, let's get to this point. But anyways, the race at Bristol uh, and the Chase Elliott-Kevin Harvick feud, I think it's all Kevin Harvick. I think Kevin Harvick uh, is in his own head at this point. Chase Elliott is over it. He's moved on. He's uh, said it. In, in, in public, he said, hey, look, I don't care anymore. And yet Kevin Harvick is still talking about it. So that's a problem. That's a problem for good old Kevin Harvick. But it really doesn't change much for, for Chase Elliott, especially because Chase Elliott doesn't need that win as much as Kevin Harvick did. And I understand where you're at if you're both drivers. I truly, truly do. I understand how much it sucks to have one of your few wins taken away from you. But if you're Kevin Harvick, and you've been racing for Stuart Haas Racing for these past couple of years, and you still haven't looked for a way out, that's partially your fault. So I definitely think you have to be careful when we talk about that kind of relationship with um, him and uh, winning, right? Last year was great. This year is not great. So I don't... And look, Ke- Kevin Harvick's still alive, and this is not something that we see a lot in this format. He's still alive without having won a race all year. Denny Hamlin didn't win a race the entire regular season, and now both his wins have come in the playoffs to advance him on. So not right. something we see a whole lot. And this is this is definitely not the kind of platform and pattern that suits the playoff format because it's funny because these are the exact same two guys who combined won half the schedule last year. It's the exact same two dudes. It's funny. It's Denny and Kevin Harvick all over again. It's the exact same people, and that's the funny part with this. I would so much love to see them both in the championship four race this year and one of them end up winning it because that would be one of the funkiest stories in history uh, where, you know, uh, oh, well, they both did all this in 2020, but they didn't end up winning at all until 2021 in which they had a pretty piss-poor season. But I think you've got to be careful, right? Because what you don't want to happen is, uh, and we're starting to see this in the playoff format where the guy who usually ends up tearing it up in the regular season is not the guy who wins the championship. So for my Larson fans out there, don't hold your breath. You might not end up being satisfied. There might be a different guy. I think Truex is a surprise guy. I think um, uh, Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott could end up doing it, but I, I don't know. I think there's too many other guys, the Gibbs team, all three of those guys you could tell me would win the title, and I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, there's a lot of drivers who really want to win this and have it in them. I really don't think there's many drivers left who you could tell me, oh, they're not winning it at all, period. No chance, absolutely no chance. The 12 we have remaining, I really do think they have a really good chance and i mean as we talk about where those hendrick guys stand chase elliott he's not that far above the cut line um 
William Byron, he's below the cut line right now. Alex Bowman, very far below the cut line. So everybody outside of Larson and Elliott, or everybody outside of Larson, really, has cause for concern in HMS. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a team that is fast, is extremely fast, but once the playoffs come about, there's not nearly as much cooperation, cooperation, if you will, between these cars. Thanks, Daryl. We saw at Bristol. Exactly. I think what we saw at Bristol is was a surprise. I am very much surprised that Chase Elliott almost gave away a potential chance for him to win just so Larson could get a win. And I think that just comes from them liking each other. And to go and, back to what you were saying earlier, I mean, right. if anything, Chase Elliott's living rent-free in Kevin Harvick's head. Exactly. Because Kevin Harvick was like, oh, it was like talking to my nine-year-old. <laughs> right. Ironic because Chase Elliott drives the nine car, but yeah, look, I was thinking about that. Chase Elliott has literally nothing to gain or to lose from a feud. You're exactly right, Brad. Chase Elliott is, if anything, this is just, a, I'm trying to stand my ground here. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to start anything. I'm not trying to stop anything. I'm standing up for myself and my team. And I think that's just, and you heard NBC talk about, or Jeff Burton on NBCSN talk about this before the race on the pre-race stuff on Sunday night. Chase Elliott, despite being the reigning cup champion and the most popular driver in the sport right now, still feels like, because he said it, I don't care how long Kevin Harvick's been here. I'm going to stand up for myself. Chase Elliott doesn't need to stand up for himself. He still feels like he has to because that's just the kind of guy he is. That's how humble he is. He doesn't think of himself as a guy that has reached the stature that he has. He still thinks that he's below guys like Kevin Harvick in terms of stature, in terms of longevity. In terms of longevity, he is. But he's not below them in terms of his talent level or his stature or his allure or anything like that. He doesn't have anything to prove to Kevin Harvick. He doesn't have anything to prove to us as members of the media. He has something... That's just the kind of guy he is. He has to prove that to himself, if anything else. He is in a point where it's almost surprising just how humble he chooses to be simply because he has a feud with a guy named Kevin Harvick. He has a title in 2014, and that's his only title. They have achieved in the grand scheme of things, in the bigger picture, similar amounts of success. Chase Elliott has been in the league and then in NASCAR and the Cup Series for so much shorter time. We're talking almost a 20-year difference. No, exactly a 20-year difference in age. This is a 25-year-old versus a 45-year-old. All it would take is just a couple more years of Chase winning some flagship races, some crown jewel events, and they've pretty much accomplished the same amount of stuff. So the fact that he even cares, um, even in the slightest, and the fact that he even entertained Kevin Harvick's uh, uh, cries at first is surprising to me, and I think it just kind of shows that this is a, this is exactly the kind of driver. This is why people like him. He's a down to earth kind of dude. He doesn't have such a big head. He is not Kevin Harvick, who thinks sometimes things are deserved that aren't, and that's why people like him. And. It's the exact kind of stuff that a guy who might end up winning and going for a repeat title and, and surpassing Kevin Harvick at such a young age, that's the exact kind of behavior I would think would be the key for another championship. And, you know, 
as much as you said about Larson, you know, he's he's not the 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 end all be all odds on favorite at this point, especially when you're talking about going to a track like Talladega. Hamlin's already locked in. Okay, Larson's the points leader, but behind him there are a host of guys who either have won at Talladega or have a history of really good finishes at Talladega and at the Roval as well. But Talladega's a super speedway. That is the hardest kind of track in this sport to predict. And I mean, heck, Michael McDowell might win it again. Matt DiBenedetto might win something. This is one of these non-playoff drivers might come out of nowhere, like uh, like Josh Berry did on on Saturday in the Xfinity race uh, at Las Vegas, and, and come out of nowhere and and steal a victory. But Kyle Busch, Truex, Ryan Blaney's like half of his wins in his career have come at Talladega. Uh, Chase Elliott knows here, there, and the Roval like the back of his hand. Um, Logano and Keselowski, you know, they're going to work together. Byron and Bowman and Elliott, too. You know, they're going to work together in terms of drafting. And Christopher Bell has got a lot of ground to make up. He wants to make the cut because all three of his teammates are 2-3-4 in the point standings right now. So, you know, when you talk about co-opetition, as you mentioned earlier on, to use the Darrell Waltrip terminology, there's no place other than Daytona that that means more of or more to than Talladega. Right. Absolutely. This is this is the race that's really going to make or break a lot of drivers seasons in terms of a championship. Well, yes, they do to have another chance that road course race obviously suits one guy and one guy alone and maybe a couple others. The Charlotte Roval has never really truly been a race that uh, everyone has a chance. It's similar to me in a short track in that, your short track specialists win most of those races. Your road course or your road course specialists win. Most Chase of those Elliott, races, of course, exactly. And that's the kind of win that a lot came in. I think it suits NASCAR very well that they put that at the end of this round uh, because it keeps people on their toes. They don't know if Chase Elliott was able to lock himself in. You maybe wonder about viewer retention and things like that over the next couple of races, but. This is turning in to be one of the better playoffs we've seen. Last year was kind of a dud. We, uh, yeah, it was exciting in the first few races, but after it was that, more exciting kind of towards the be- at the beginning and towards the end. It was kind of a, a, a exactly. you know a letdown in the middle of it, but absolutely there has been excitement. Good drivers getting and the the excitement and the excitement hasn't necessarily been on the track all the time. It's been the playoff guys that have had issues throughout the race. William Byron had a hot rod on Sunday night in Las Vegas, and if it wasn't for a flat tire with 25 laps to go, had a chance not even to finish in the top five, had a chance to win the race because he was running second, third, and, and led quite a few laps, which is why he's not as far below the cut line as he would be had he not been at the front the whole night. Joey Logano, he had a flat tire issue with about 20, 25 to go. That's why he sits where he sits. And you look at Darlington, how many guys had issues uh, there? Look at Bristol, how many guys had issues there in a cutoff race? That's what makes this format so good. It's not just the it's not just the racing. It doesn't take away from that either. What what you've got on your hands is is Team dominance, right? And I think these next couple of rounds are just going to be weeding out your stragglers 
And really, you're going to have maybe a Penske car, a couple Gibbs cars, a couple Hendrick cars. You're well, that's the other thing. Bracket. As you saw, Hendrick dominate the whole regular season, and now two through four in the playoff standings are all Gibbs cars. Gibbs cars know when to peak best. I mean, look at Truex's championship race, uh, his race through the season. It wasn't one that started out as strong as it could have been. He didn't win five races in the first 15 or, 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 or something incredibly crazy like that. He definitely spread himself well over the course of the season in order to have gas in the tank, but also stay on top of things. And that's kind of what he did. And obviously this was not a Joe Gibbs car, but you definitely, you know, satellite team, whatever. Uh, to me, when we talk Joe Gibbs titles, I just throw that one in there because it's just convenient for the sake of argument. But that's exactly what Gibbs has always been known for. They don't win, except for Kyle Busch. A lot of their race wins come spread apart. Kyle, he can win a couple in multiple, and, and you know he can win multiple races in a month, especially when he goes on a tear in the Truck Series. But this is a team that's always peaked exactly at the right time. We were talking about this earlier in the year. Has Hendrick peaked too early? And obviously, hindsight it appears they have. They yeah. they might just have. Um. But but the problem is, is that the thing is, and this is the thing I have with Hendrick, right? We could say they peak too early. However, the cars are still fast. The wins are still coming. And yeah, they're not as fast as they were, but does it matter at this point? They could lose speed every single week and still want to have one, two, or even three of those cars win a title. So I don't know that Hendrick may be worried at this point. Rick Hendrick might say, hey, look, we might be losing speed. I'm not worried about it. Chase Elliott and Larson are two guys who you could tell me, you could come back from the future and say, yeah, they win the title. I'd be like, yeah, sure, okay. Seems plausible. Right. Yeah. So lose speed all you want. Bleed speed. If you're a Gibbs card, you still have to be worried. I think the pressure is still on the Gibbs cards at this point. Because, yes, you might be Right, because now... Now you're in the position of, okay, we got to look in the rearview mirror at everybody. Right. We're not chasing people. People are chasing us. Right. Who has succeeded in the ever-changing rules package throughout this year? Who has found speed at tracks that are hard to link up and push a driver to the front this year? Who has been able to do the things at 100 I, I think if it's hardest? Everybody, everybody has to look back to Everybody has to look back to Daytona. Not even to the spring Talladega race. We need to look back to Daytona and look at the interestingness, so to speak, of when those manufacturers chose to pit. The Chevys chose not to pit together. The Toyotas were the only ones that chose to pit together. So on and so forth. The strategy of who you go with and who you team up with and the co-opetition aspect of things. I think you need to look back to Daytona and not the spring Talladega race. In terms of what worked well there, even though Talladega is a super speedway, drives completely differently than Daytona does, inherently because it's wider and a little bit faster. Um, there's there's the potential there, as we know, for, for chaos and calamity, but there's also the strategy component. Yeah, absolutely. Talladega is not a Daytona in nature, although they are very similar in, in, in how they... In how they're built and how they're shaped, you get different results. You have guys who are slightly better at Dega than Daytona. I think uh, 
some of your guys who are heavily reliant on super speedways in order to have speed, uh, a la Bubba Wallace. I think he's slightly faster at Dega than he is at Daytona. But so many guys who really, really would that have anything to do with the fact that he's a native of the state of Alabama? And he is. Yeah, he's from Mobile. Uh, mobile, mobile, um, mobile. Hate, yeah, they hate how I say it. I don't care. Um, you're, you live in Alabama, so your life already sucks anyway. So <laughs> don't talk to me about how I pronounce your lame city, dude. Alabama, friggin' butthole of America. Oh, god, Anyways, got a nice racetrack down there. Uh, That's right the there. only good part of it, other than you know, right. Tuscaloosa, I guess. Right, and you've got a nice uh, little uh, Chick-fil-A around the block. I've eaten at that Chick-fil-A many times right by the track. It's, it's a good chicken right there, man. Anyways, this is a racetrack that will, will shake things up majorly. There is literally nothing stopping Christopher Bell, Alex Bowman, William Byron for coming out of the bubble and winning the race and locking themselves in. And these are the exact kind of finishes that I like to see because it kicks guys out. It makes guys work. If Kevin Harvick gets put all the way down to the bottom of the bubble and he really has to work hard, then you might see a screaming fast Stuart Haas race car show up to the Charlotte Roval race. Well, if he doesn't run the subway scheme. Oh, no. The subway. If he runs the subway scheme, that scheme is cursed also because he switched sandwich sponsors. He switched from Jimmy John's to Subway, which is an automatic downgrade, but, you know. Right, and, and and that to me is also something I didn't notice until about two days after the race. I was like, wait, 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 wait. This guy was with Jimmy John's for like ever. What? And, and and it's funny. I used to see him. He used to literally just post videos of him eating Jimmy John's all the time. And I'm like, dang, are you that? Must be nice. Dang, is Your the free sandwiches, my brother. Yeah, like he got one I of the black cards. Jared Fogle. Here's, here's, you know, you can get free subs and stuff. Here's the I'd thing. For he had a, he had a freaky fast Ford. Now he's with Subway. Eat fresh does not mean race fast. Yeah, no, it means it means holy crap, it means he's barely quicker than the trucks that deliver the ingredients to the freaking restaurants. <laughs> Keith. These Ford Mustangs are really slow right now. And I'll tell you why, right? Okay. Of the 12 drivers who still are even in a chance uh, to win. The highest is Ryan Blaney. He's five. Then you have Logano, Kozlowski at seven and eight, and then Harvick at freaking ten. The top cars are all Toyotas, right? And Chevys. Yep. That's what's been winning. And it's funny because beginning of the season, and we almost see this every year, and I almost get fooled by this every year because I'm a Toyota guy. I say, oh, the Toyotas are slow. Oh, the Toyotas are slow this year. Jesus Christ, the Toyotas are slow. Brett, you've heard me complain about this. Oh, we don't have enough Toyotas. We don't have this. When half the field are two manufacturers out of the three. And then, or excuse and me. It's, it's not the Toyotas the in quantity. It's the, the Toyotas in quality right now. Exactly. Exactly. That's why Toyota is the team they are. And and it's funny because as, as Toyota in the racing world, uh, this is slightly relevant. They're looking at maybe getting into indie racing. That's the rumor right now. And someone, I was watching a video, they kind of talked about how Toyota is when they enter a sport. And it reminded me of what Toyota did when they got into NASCAR, where they kind of re-leveled the playing field a little bit. Uh, and But what Toyota's always kind of been good at is they've never really 
been the team that says, all right, we're going to get so many people into this manufacturer. We don't really care about quantity. We don't care about that. And in NASCAR, that's a sport where quantity does kind of matter, but not in the playoffs, not in a sport where you can get to the point where most of their, most of the field is not really pushing that hard. If I'm BJ McLeod and I have the chance to put a pit maneuver on Denny Hamlin at, at Phoenix, and in his career, I'm not doing that even though, yeah, I, if I'm BJ McLeod and I have a chance to win a race and I all I have to do is absolutely do pull a dirty move on a championship four driver, I'm not doing that. You know why? Because I don't want to get socked in the mouth when I get out of my race car. And that's exactly why the playoff is so fun is because you've got all the cars racing for a race win, but the, the, the playoff drivers are going 101% compared to the regulars 100 uh, you know, a hundred percent. Right. And that 1% difference is exactly why you'll see the slight advantage. You'll see them racing through the field. You'll see errors that happen to playoff cars affect them slightly less because even the drivers who are not in the playoffs, they say, well, I want to see a show. I want to be a part of this. I want to enjoy myself. And they're still racing for race wins, but they don't want it as much. And it's more of a subconscious thing, but this is why Toyota succeed in the playoffs. Now we haven't seen one win in a little while. It's been it feels like it's been forever. Um, a Toyota car win a title. Um, I'm I've been waiting for that. I've been waiting for Denny Hamlin to maybe finally win one. He's got some family trouble going on at home, but this is a year in which it doesn't really matter to me who wins. It'll be one of the greater playoff runs in a while, and maybe not for this driver for that driver in terms of statistics, but in just enjoyment factor as a watcher as an audience, it doesn't matter who out of the 12 who wins to me anymore. I'll consider it one of the best playoffs we've seen in a while. Yep. 100% agree with you on that one. Uh, when we come back, we've got some NBA and NHL storylines to talk about as those training camps open and those preseasons get underway. Talk about all that more next here on the score. Back here on the score with Brett Wiseman on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman alongside James Wilson and Alex Wober. Alex, for the first time in your entire life, you'll be invested in hockey as a fan of the Seattle Kraken, um, who had their first preseason game last weekend, hosted the Vancouver Canucks from just up the road, um, not that far, um, in uh, Spokane. Because the uh, Climate Pledge Arena, the ice is not done. Some of the seats aren't done. But be ready for opening night. National TV. It'll be part of ESPN's first doubleheader. Um, they'll host the Vegas Golden Knights uh, from Climate Pledge Arena. Well, actually, I think that's at Vegas. But uh, the Kraken home opener will be uh, on ESPN Plus, at least. So there's a lot to get to in terms of your first year as a hockey fan is the first year that we have this level of incredibly comprehensive coverage, right? We have ESPN re-entering the fold. We have TNT with hockey for the first time ever. TNT is going to have NBA on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then a hockey sandwich in the middle of it. Um, 
it's going to be it's going to be really really fun to see what they bring to the table. They've got a really good broadcast team that they're bringing with them, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. But you know, for you as a hockey fan, it's a heck of a time to enter with you know all the guys and the, the crews that we're talking about. Yeah, Brett. I mean, you know, I, I've watched hockey on and off like for the last couple of years, but. This is the first true year I'll actually be invested in it, watching the, the games. And, you know, I, I have to get a cracking sweater. So, I mean, I got to do that soon before opening night. But uh, that's the problem. I, I don't know who uh, to get. I, I'm not. I'm still learning the players. I'm still figuring out who I, who I like. So. Oh, I can help you with that. Certainly <laughs> sure you have two former Blues on your team. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was in the expansion draft was fun because I have never experienced that with any of my teams except for, you know, well, I'll experience it again when the Supersonics are inducted back into the NBA, but we'll, that'll be for hopefully soon. Uh, no, yeah, hopefully soon. But uh, yeah, I'm excited and uh, I'm ready to invest my weeks into hockey now. I mean, you know, you, you look at the broadcast crews that we've got here and, you know, we look at the, the ESPN level of coverage. They're going to have more games on ESPN Plus and Hulu than on actual network TV, which is a, a bold move, but it's one that the NHL went to Walt Disney Company and ESPN in trying to grow the game to um, a, a younger market, knowing that's where, you know, sports media is going. And they've got the broadcast team around to do it. They've got Bouchergrass, they've got Melrose, they've got Steve Levy, three guys that have been in ESPN forever and are crazy about the sport of hockey. They bring in Bob Wischusen and Sean McDonough <laughs> from other sports to uh, participate in the play-by-play. They've got a great cast of analysts. They've got Mark Messier. But TNT, um, they're competing with a pretty good, uh, pretty good level of, of teams here. Granted, they're only going to have one game a week on there, we don't know when ESPN's you know weekly games are going to be on the actual network, or and remember NHL.tv no longer a thing. If you have an ESPN Plus subscription, you get every out of market NHL game as a part of that. So um, TNT has Wayne Gretzky. Okay, they have the goat. They have the great one. They win the analyst battle. Um, they also have Paul Bichonette of the Spinning Chicklets podcast. Um, so they have both ends of the spectrum. They have the greatest hockey player ever and the greatest hockey player ever with less than eight teeth. Um, Liam McHugh, great studio host. Kenny Albert and Brendan Burke, really good play-by-play guys. Darren Pang and Eddie Olchek on the analyst side of things. And then both companies have uh, the, the social media aspect to run off of. TNT has Bleacher Report. So they have the access to that. They have access to players that they've never had before. TNT is also going to use a drone in their game coverage. I don't know how it's going to work, but um, they're going to bring a level of coverage to this sport that we have not seen probably ever. And now as we shift gears to the NBA, J-Dub, I ask you this as a our resident Hornets expert, why is LiAngelo Ball not on the training camp roster? So I think there's a couple reasons for it, and I don't know that it's necessarily as surprising as we want it to be. Um, I think you saw a really good LiAngelo in the summer league, but after evaluation of talent and interviews and meeting with the player, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to a couple of factors. 
Lamelo is far more independent from his brothers than we may have given him credit for. Something I always said was, oh, bring him on the team. He'll make LaMelo comfortable. Maybe LaMelo doesn't care anymore. Maybe LaMelo's not interested in that factor of his life. Maybe LaMelo is not LaMelo Ball as much as he's LaMelo for the Charlotte Hornets who wants to win and have a great time and, and be a legendary player. I think when James Borrego and the staff who put together the roster, what they finalized and what they came up with was, yes, we can afford to put Angelo on a roster, but what are the pros and cons? And I think they realized that the cons is that they're missing out on another player who's independent from anyone else. They're missing out on a player who doesn't have a big ego. They're missing out on one of my favorite factors and one of my favorite things and one of the most overlooked things in young basketball player development, and it is one word, and that word is coachability. I think ultimately what hurts Leangelo now is he's become very independent from so much coaching and so much of this. And the problem with that and the reason it hurts your heart to say this is because Leangelo has improved his game through this sort of isolationist mantra and this sort of behavior that we've seen from him. He was not a very strong shooter, and yet now he is – and I don't think that came from him meeting with a coaching team in this in this giant thing. Really, a shooting coach is all it took. So if you're the Charlotte Hornets, you move on. Um, if you're a Leangelo Ball fan, you, you feel like you do get swiped. You feel like you did get a little bit of um, – you kind of got teased a little bit getting put on a roster. But ultimately, he got a shot. The Hornets Summer League did not go over well. Um what you want to do as a player is worry about James Booknight. You want to worry about Kai Jones. You want to worry about the awesome draft you just had. You want to worry about developing the players. How do we keep Terry Rozier happy, which they've just done? How do we keep the guys in a rotation? How do we keep not just the new guys from de- to develop? How do we keep that going on? But how do we keep that same level of performance from a Terry who might be getting slightly less minutes and playing in a slightly different role? And how do we lock down the uh, the low down the block? Something that they've struggled with, uh, probably honestly, honestly, they've really only had one good run with a good, good, good center since they changed the name back to the Hornets, and that'd be Alex since Alex Jefferson left. Yeah, I mean. Dwight Howard had really good moments. I mean, super strong moments. He had he was he was like the first. He's like the most recent thirty thirty game in in in, in NBA history was him on the Hornets. He he scored thirty two points and had thirty rebounds, which is still an insane number. But and look, you, you talk about Plumley here. You, you you think that that's who you've brought in to really stake that role, stake that claim. Remember, you've still got excuse me, Nick Richards and and Vernon Carey that don't have the reps. That you know, I, I think anyone on the coaching staff would like them to have, and now you've locked up James Borrego uh, for the near future. The core of this team is is set, and you bring in a guy like Kelly Oubre to to add to that young core, um, and you draft a guy like James Booknight. You still got Gordon Hayward. You've got the mix of now we can call Miles Bridges and Terry Rozier veterans. And then you bring in Ish Smith to back up LaMelo Ball. And you bring in Oubre, who's played in the NBA Finals before with with the Golden State Warriors. There is such a good nucleus with this ball club that 
You know, we as fans have to be excited. I think when you're a Charlotte Hornets fan, you've got a couple things going for you. You've got some swagger back. You've got the pretty boy Kelly Oubre on the squad. You've got these new gorgeous uniforms, which I am so ready to dump money into buying gear this year. You've got so many factors that go into a good season. And Terry Rozier said it best when he said this. If we don't make the playoffs this year, this season is a failure. And he's absolutely right. Not making the playoffs. And, and, and that, that team, look, the team was, they weren't happy with only making the play-in. They were in a playoff spot for the last month of the season and then had a mini collapse towards the end of the regular season. That team was not happy that they ended up in the play-in and got smoked by the Pacers. This is a team that feels like they they were superior to the whole year. Exactly. And now this is a team that they've improved the roster since then. I feel like they got something to prove. Well, and also here's the thing is I think what I'm more excited about than the additions to the team in terms of personnel, new names, I'm more excited about the, the same guys, right? I am excited to see what has happened in this offseason because we saw from James Borrego and he said so much good stuff. He said, I've never seen anything like this. And he's been coaching for years where he genuinely feels this team has taken a huge leap. I think the two teams that are really going to take the Eastern Conference by storm and are going to surprise people and are going to truly, 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 and and and, and for the Charlotte Hornets, it feels so good to say this. I truly believe we're going to be contenders in the Eastern Conference. We're going to contend for an Eastern Conference win. I truly believe this team will will fight and be one of the top four teams in the in the, in the Eastern Conference. I really do, and I think Chicago is another one of those teams. Chicago's going to contend for a uh, for representing the East in the finals. Well, talk about a team that had one heck of an offseason. There you go. Right. And you finally got a player in DeMar DeRozan who is highly who his play is heavily dependent on how he's feeling, and he finally got another chance. I don't think he was ever truly happy in San Antonio, and I cannot blame him because San Antonio, nope. um, that arena is in the middle of. I mean, some of the. I mean, that's that's a butthole location for a gorgeous <laughs> arena. You would know. And the train tracks around that place are terrible. Oof. Plus, he got traded for he got traded, and then the year he got traded, the team he tried to bring a title to won a title without him. So, you got that. Yes. You give but I mean, organization, and they give up on you right before it could have happened. What one more thing here um, that I want to get your thought on? Uh, we we can't. We have to address this. I feel like. Uh, the vaccine thing with the NBA. Um, there's a potential that, you know, whether or not it depends on, you know, the local mandate of, of whether these guys will be playing all year. Um, and Alex will bring you into this conversation as well. Um, the NBA is considering not paying guys if they miss games due to local mandates because they have to be vaccinated in that arena, in that area, and they're not. I mean, when you have someone who's been as outspoken as, as a LeBron James, and then you go all the way down the spectrum to Kyrie Irving to Jonathan Isaac saying, you know, look, LeBron got his. He said that was the best decision. But LeBron also said, I don't think it should be required of anybody because who are we to say it's, you know, what to do to, to their, their bodies? 
Kyrie Irving and Jonathan Isaac have both said they had COVID. They have done their research. So this isn't a situation in which Kyrie Irving and Jonathan Isaac and a lot of these other guys that are choosing not to get it across sports, not just in the NBA, are just being anti-vax because they're looking at it on the internet. They're talking to their doctors. They're talking to team doctors. They're talking to independent doctors. They're doing their research. They're doing the research the right way. They're looking at the science that they believe is right. I don't think it's right for the NBA to sit here and say, look, if you miss a game because of not a league mandate but a local mandate, we're not going to pay you. That's not on the league. That's on the locality. That's Look, the league feels like it's doing what it has to do, and I get that. But for the league to not pay those guys, that's not on the league to set that mandate. The league didn't choose that. The players didn't choose that. The locality did. That's not their fault. My question is, is just to clarify, is it similar to the NFL where if they are in like get infected and then they pass it on through the team, they don't get salary, right? Is that how it is with the NBA? That, that, that's similar to it too, but um, you know the the protocol is if you're vaccinated, you get tested weekly, or you only get tested if you have symptoms. Um, if you're unvaccinated, you get tested daily, but. The only way you don't get paid is if A, you cause an outbreak, or B, you miss a game because of being an unvaccinated close contact or an unvaccinated positive test in, in, in a locality where it's mandatory for you to be vaccinated to enter work in an in indoor space. As we know, the NBA does not play outdoors. So the NHL doesn't have anything like that. Uh, I believe... 95% of the entire league in the NHL is vaccinated, but still, a lot of guys have chosen to, to do their research. Uh, uh, Chris Blackwood, or Mackenzie Blackwood, I should say, of the um, New Jersey Devils, the goaltender, has said he's not getting it because he, like Jonathan Isaac, believes that his natural immunity is stronger than the vaccine. I am not one to sit here, and I, I'm. we're not going to get too political on this. I'm not one to sit here and say you have to or you have to not get the vaccine. You're putting something into your body. I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. Okay? LeBron James should not tell you what you can and can't do. Your doctor should tell you what you should or should not do. But for guys to not get paid and guys to miss games, there has to be a line drawn between okay, you know, Am I doing what's right for the team or am I doing what's right for me and my family in terms of my safety, right? Like the the, the question has to be asked. Go ahead, Jada. I'd say without inciting an argument um, over right or wrong here, I think as a league – you, you, you have the utmost responsibility to empower your players to make decisions. However, when it comes time to, if you believe a player's decision might impact other players who chose, uh, who, who, who had no choice in that matter, it's up to you as a league to protect them. And you might penalize guys who are in earnest doing nothing wrong, 
But it's a league's responsibility to keep itself afloat. It's a league's responsibility to keep the player. The, the priority right now is the players and fans' health and safety. And if you take that route, it's almost hard to argue against, no matter what the repercussions might be. In earnest, paying the players is the most important thing. However, if a player decides to make a decision and they know the risks and you warn them with more than enough time, I don't think you're truly doing anything wrong. They have an option um, and you can give it to them. Nothing means they have to stay on an active roster. They can retire or they can be waived or, 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 or something like that. They don't have to continue to practice or play either. At the end of the day, that's their job. And if they choose to make a decision that prevents them from performing their job, you don't pay them. You know, if I don't, uh, you know, if we didn't show up for a broadcast, Brett, do we get paid? Uh, we don't. Nope. They don't send us a check. So ultimately, I, 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 I truly, truly believe in a player's right to choose. But if you do make a decision that stops you from doing your job, it's not a billion billion dollar sports franchise's or, uh, responsibility to pay you. And ultimately, as as hard as that as that is, objectively, it's hard to argue against that argument. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you there. And you know, there are just so many things that there's so many variables and so many discussions that we can have on this. You know, we get we we can talk about all day. Um, That'll do it for us here this week on The Score for Alex Wober and the return of James Wilson. He's back, folks, hopefully for the long run. Uh, thanks for coming back on, J-Dub. We miss you. Yes, sir. Always happy to be here. We'll see you all next week, folks. Have a great weekend.